What's up, kid folk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step, no. Thank you for subscribing to the number one ranked show with me, RJ Young. It's episode number 10. We're going to talk with Clay Helton at USC about his squad, what he is excited about for 2021, some roster management that is going on with him, and his thoughts on the playoff expansion and so many other things. Also, shout out to that dude because he actually got to be a part of an offense that had D'Angelo Williams on it. And I don't know if y'all remember that, like D'Angelo Williams, who is that dude, but another guy who looks like he could be that dude, six foot six, 242 pound, TJ Finley. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, they had three starting quarterbacks at LSU last year. Miles Brennan, then he gets hurt. Then you see Max Johnson and TJ Finley split in time. But toward the end of the spring, TJ Finley decided to pull himself out of the quarterback derby with the three of them and go into the transfer portal. And that is right on time, right? As we are talking about roster management. I mean, Clay Helton has Malcolm Epps, Keontae Ingram, and Xavier Alford all come in out of Texas in this spring for an example there. But the reason I think that TJ Finley is so really interesting right now is he spoke to AL.com, which is not necessarily a thing that dudes in the transfer portal are doing. I don't mean talking to AL.com. I mean, just talking out in general. And he had mentioned some SEC schools that had reached out to him, among them Alabama, and Auburn. But the reason we're focusing on Auburn is because he singled them out. Quote is, they have a new system going in and they feel like I fit their system. And it's a lot of things that they're telling me that are very promising. Not saying they're promising me anything, but it's promising as far as the future. It's basically that I can come in and compete for the starting job. And if I were good enough to be the number one guy, I would be the number one guy. Now, right now, the number one guy is Bo Nix. Now, Many of y'all know that I feel about Bo Nix the same way that TJ Finley feels about Bo Nix, which is say that his starting job is not secure and somebody with the goods could show up and take it now that Gus Malzahn is at Central Florida. They also signed a really outstanding 2021 quarterback in Demetrius Davis, who I think is going to compete for time over there. But if you get TJ Finley on campus and you can convince him that he has an opportunity to go out there and win that job, why not? And that is what we are seeing is happening, right? We saw this. Again, with Tennessee and Alabama, you'll know Henry Tooto decided that he was going to transfer to Alabama among that just double-digit exodus from Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, Tooto, one of the best linebackers in the country when he came out, and is still one of the best linebackers in the country when he ends up at Alabama, and it is really Saban doing what Saban does which is recruiting the best player available to him. Now, this is going to impact recruiting in ways that I don't think people really understand yet because you're not actually looking to go and get all 25 of your guys from high school anymore. You may keep a couple of slots open for these transfers because there are over 2,000 kids in the transfer portal. But where we're running into some snags is transferring intra-conference, right? And this is how I want to get to talking about Chandler Morris, Texas Christian, and Oklahoma. But first, Check this out. We have had these rules up until the NCAA's Division I transfer rule goes into effect among the transfers. ACC does, have, does not have any restrictions outside of NCAA-mandated rules after eliminating them on that Monday morning when we found out that Division I council said, hey, look, y'all can transfer one time without penalty, right? That's April 15th. So Big Ten says you must complete a year in residence for eligibility. Graduate transfers are not subject to that rule. Big 12 said athletes must forfeit a season of competition in the sport 
if the NCAA rules dictate that they must sit out a year in residence. Get that in a second. Pac-12 said interconference transfers must sit a year in residency if they are not grad transfers. And then the SEC said players must sit a year in residence if they're not a grad transfer. Now, we expect the SEC and the Pac-12 and the Big 12 all to overturn these rules, along with the Big 10, to keep them in line with the NCAA's rule of, no, if you want to transfer in conference or anywhere else one time, you can do that without penalty. We saw that Lincoln Riley decided to put his foot down and basically make it into a story when he said, no, I'm not going to release Chandler Morris to Texas Christian right away. I'm just not going to do it, which means that Chandler Morris could not practice at Texas Christian until he was released. And that was Lincoln Riley telling everybody he doesn't like that this is a thing that can occur. He didn't like it a couple of years ago when Austin Kendall decided that he was going to transfer to West Virginia and he tried to block it. And then he decided to bounce off of that because one, Austin Kendall's a grad transfer. And two, he put in his time in Oklahoma as far as anybody's concerned. But what Riley was really incensed about was the idea that his IP, that is his intellectual property, could end up in West Virginia, Texas Christian hands. And if you have an institutional knowledge of the offense, I can understand that. But I also am looking at Lincoln Riley the way I'm looking at everybody else, which is to say, you get paid umpteen million dollars a year to deal with these problems, right? That's what the money's for, right? While ago, I want to be a strength and conditioning coach, okay? Got my CSCS. I'm still an NASM personal personal trainer, ACSM personal trainer. I have all these certifications and that's what I want to do. But in learning to do that job, I learned very quickly from other strength coaches, RJ, you're not getting paid to make these kids bigger, faster, stronger. They're coming in that way. You're paid to tune them like an F1 race car. You're supposed to make sure they don't break, which is to say you're coming up with problems to, or you're solving problems that they come up with, whether it is tight hamstrings, whether it's hip flexibility, or whether it is just trying to get them a little bit sturdier so they can take on the physical nature of football. That's how I look at college football coaches today. The kids are showing up to you ready to play at a rate that we've never seen before. Your job now is roster management. It is to recruit your kids and to recruit your kids once they're there to stay there. This is one of the reasons that I was really interested to talk to Clay Helton because he has been in on this in the same way that Nick Saban has been in on this. And the thing that separates, I think, coaches that are ready to deal with this, another being Mac Brown, is that they've also been working on this for a number of years. Like James Franklin was really good about saying, I don't think anything's changed with the NCAA announcing its Division I Council rule that, yes, we're going to allow one-time transfers to anywhere at any time. He went on to say, let's be honest. Over the last two years, everybody knew all the transfer policies and the requirements to get immediate eligibility, and everybody was saying whatever they had to say to become eligible. We saw the most high-profile versions of these with Ole Miss and Shea Patterson to Michigan, right? We saw it again with Justin Fields from Georgia to Ohio State. Whatever needed to be said to get that waiver was said to get that waiver, and it really came down to how good were you at manipulating the system. So rather than having to manipulate the system anymore, you just say, hey, I want to go into the portal. And I think it's healthy for the sport. I think it's healthy for the sport because it gives the kids some agency. It gives them an opportunity to go about figuring out what the best situation is for them. Because when I talk to the kiddos, the thing I always want to stress to them is go where you're going to have a good time, go where you're going to have fun. And the best thing about football is playing football. So if you don't get to play football, you're probably not having as much fun. Now, to the folks that want to say, I think that the kids are not learning how to be adults. 
You not their daddy. Okay? Let me say that again. You are not their daddy. It is not your job to raise them up. No more than it is your job to raise up a man who enlists in the military at 18. And I feel if you are 18 years old and you can fight for this country, you can make a decision about where you're going to go play college football and go to college, which, by the way, is a thing that we allow regular students to do. If you want to decide to up and transfer to another school, nobody's going to stop you, right? The lone man still going to follow you around wherever you go, just as these things that impede your progress on a football field might follow you around too, unless you're like TJ Finley and you feel like you're going up against a guy you can beat, which also is right about way of saying, maybe there are two quarterbacks at LSU that are better than Bo Nix. But, you know, that's just me and that's just my thinking. But I also think that we're leaning toward a much more open mind when it comes to college football because we're recognizing that we are limiting opportunities for more people every day. It's why name, image, and likeness is such a big deal. It is creating more opportunities to succeed. I don't think it's going as far as it needs to because I think the college football should look a lot like the NFL, which is to say you get paid for your labor and the transfer portal becomes something like free agency and everybody that goes in ain't guaranteed to come out. But you know what? The five-star is, and that's what we're really talking about, right? We're talking about Henry Toto. We're talking about four stars like TJ Finley. We're talking about three stars like Chandler Morris. Talking about quarterbacks. We're talking about well-to-do defensive players. Everybody that goes into that thing is not going to come out where they want to come out. But I do believe you should exercise your right, if you would like to, to enter that thing without penalty. Because betting on yourself is still one of the most difficult things to do in the world. We see it more and more now, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but that's what I think makes the country great. So why would you want to do something that is going to impede somebody's opportunity to try to take their destiny into their hand? That's what the portal allows us to do. And I think we have less rules, small government versus big government, anybody? We're going to see better outcomes, all right? So keep in mind, as you are looking at the portal, who's going in from your team and who's coming out from your team, that they get to make this decision. And that makes for a better sport. And isn't that what we all want? A better sport called college football? All right, let's talk to Clay Helton about roster management, recruiting, and what he thinks is really going to happen with Drake London and that bevy of wide receivers and receiving core that he has at his disposal. I'm joined by USC Trojan head coach Clay Helton. Coach, how you doing? Doing great, RJ. Thanks for having me today. Now, I appreciate you doing this with us, Coach. As we're wrapping up spring ball, going into the summer. And I got to say, your, your depth chart has me a little bit giddy, man. Like, you secure the number one rated player in the country in Corey Foreman. He's going to probably book in with Drake Jackson some way, Jackson Dart, Miller Moss. Are you as excited about this 21 season as I am? Yeah, very much so. Uh, you know, we got that abbreviated uh, season la last year and, and really have had a tremendous offseason, not only recruiting, but in the develop development of our team over the spring uh, and really looking forward to the 21 season. You're only as good as the pieces that are around you and really feel the pieces and the men that we have around us right now are really special. So there's this thing going on on offense that I very much enjoy because I'm, a, I'm an air raid truther, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's where I come from. But mm -hmm. the offense that y'all are running is not an air raid so mm -hmm. much as it is whatever Graham Harrell, Seth, and uh, McGuire come up with 
And I wonder how is that meshing going into this? I think it's, what is it? Year three with Graham as your offense coordinator? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's been an offense that's produced about 35 points a game that we really feel that has that dynamics of the passing game from the air raid, but truly takes advantage of the defense. The the run game is a huge part of us, and and we we tend to lean on taking what the defense gives us. If if you're going to drop eight and play too high, then we've got some really talented running backs like Bavai, Malapai, Keonta Ingram, who just came about with us, Keenan Christen, the availability uh, to get a Brandon Campbell as an incoming freshman. Uh, and so we've got some really special kids here that if you do want to drop eight, we'll hand the ball off. We, we, we're disciplined enough to hand it off. Uh, and if you want to go ahead and play man coverage, now you got to deal with Drake London and Brew McCoy and Gary Bryant and those type of people outside. So it, it's a good marriage. Uh, it really is. It's, it's something that we go into each game trying to be balanced, be balanced. But the route concepts, like you said, are air rate based, uh, but but it's a different philosophy overall as far as as far as the game flow. In this offense, quarterbacks are not just your stars, but they also mm-hmm. do a lot of the workload. Mm-hmm. Threw the ball about 59% of the time in a very small mm-hmm. sample size last year. Mm-hmm. Would you like that to be more 50-50, more power run game oriented in some situations? Well, I think there's going to be times that it is going to be skewed. Like we played Washington State last last year, uh, and Washington State came in and played man coverage every snap. And so you may get 60 throws that game, uh, you know, and then there's times that you, you look at uh, Arizona State, Arizona State played a lot of too high and all of a sudden you look up and it's a 200 yard rushing day, you know, so there's going to be give and take there based on what, what the defense has given us by nature, I think we'll be slightly more pass than run uh, probably about 55 to 45 uh, at, at the end of the day in any given sample size year. Uh, but uh, we're more, I, I really appreciate Graham because he, he just doesn't force the pass. Mm-hmm. He's got the discipline and the patience to be able to mix in the run game, especially with the runners that we have. How has this transition been for you? Because we're talking about 2016. Mm-hmm. You want to be run oriented. You want to play defense. Mm-hmm. You want to look mm-hmm. a lot like David Shaw and the Cardinal. And you mm-hmm. guys were really, really good at that mm-hmm. finishing number three, 2017. Mm-hmm. And then you get this hard pivot to something mm-hmm. that, makes people a little bit uneasy when they've been raised on student body left, student body right, the great tailbacks that have come through USC. How has it been for you to try to let your offense coordinator be who he needs to be? Well, our game is changing. It really is. And you've seen it over really the last decade. It really becoming because of our hash marks, especially in the college game, there is so much grass, whether it's vertically, horizontally, you got to defend every inch. And, and, and you're looking, you see teams around the country, you see Alabama, you see Clemson, even Ohio State going to more spread, being able to attack that area of grass. And, you know, and for me in looking at having been here now going into my 12th season, um, it was evident to me that the one thing that we always have here at USC is tremendous quarterbacks. The tradition of excellence at this school with quarterbacks, especially on the West Coast, and how many quarterbacks are produced on the West Coast, you're always going to have that dynamic. The other thing that always comes is the availability at, at our school to be able to be elite 
on the outside. I think about just in my time here. I mean, uh, Robert Woods, Marquise Lee, Juju Smith-Schuster, <laughs> Nelson Aguilar, Deontay Burnett, Amon Ross St. Brown, Michael Pittman, Tyler Vaughn. I could go on and on. And, you know, that dynamic and the way football is going, at some point in time, there's a risk that has to be taken because you feel like it's best for your football team. And I think it's the future of not only our game, but you're seeing the NFL change up now, too. I think of the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think of Cliff being at at Arizona and what they're doing. Um, So, you know, you're seeing this progression uh, and I really felt with our personnel that we can acquire that we could be elite within this system. And going into year three, I think you're going to see something really special. I really do. This has been a, about a 35-point offense. I really think it could be a 40-plus point offense a game. Uh, and I, I look forward uh, to watching this year coming up. You mentioned those dudes. And, I mean, yes, I mean, number one, because that's just that's just nasty. The second part of that is Drake London's still there. And and I'm I'm asking about him in particular because Mm -hmm. I don't know that I've seen a guy, let's call it the Y, let's not call it tight end Mm -hmm. because that's, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a misnomer with him. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen that at a USC. Is that a Mm -hmm. product of of him and where he lines up Mm -hmm. or is that Mm -hmm. how you guys have designed it? Well, I, I tell you, when, when you look at it, when, when Graham first came in, uh, he said, Coach, there's two things that ended up happening. You have your outside receivers, primarily the X has usually been uh, a guy that uh, has been uh, probably the leading receiver. But don't overlook the wide position because when they do play too high coverage and they try to bracket the outside receivers, there's that one-on-one matchup with the Mike, uh, the Mike back or backers or safeties uh, and Drake has caused havoc uh, in there now we really feel uh, to be honest with you that that Drake's potential uh, can line up anywhere and you'll see him on the outside this year I, I really think he's going to be more Mike Evans-ish uh, at the end of the day I think he's going to be Mike Evans uh, and be able to show I've watched it in the spring where now we've moved him outside some and man he has been dynamic I mean he is a nightmare uh, so we don't ever want him to be found. So we did this in my first year here uh, in, in my first three years here with, with Coach Kiffin. Uh, I remember with Robert Woods being our lead target, he was catching over 100 balls uh, a game in Marquise Lee, and you had to move him around so you didn't get bracketed. You could never find him, whether it was whether it was inside, whether it was outside, whether it was motion out of the backfield. You had to create ways to make sure that they couldn't find that guy and he wasn't targeted in a specific position. And that's what we'll do with Drake this year. It's one of the things I love about the sport and how I think it differs from every other sport is if you got a guy that you know is great and you can move mm-hmm. him around to Marco Murray, mm-hmm. Percy Harvin, those mm-hmm. guys come to mind, you go and do that. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the, the transfer portal for just a second here, but yeah. also how Clay Helton, the nice guy, has ended up with so many of these jewels, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm pointing to a guy like Brew McCoy, uh, mm-hmm. Horace, going off like an mm-hmm. Egyptian god. I've been a big fan of that dude since mm-hmm. his sophomore year at Modern Day, right? When he's catching passes mm-hmm. from JT Daniels and the likes, and we mm-hmm. know what the pipeline is out there. Is he poised to have the kind of season that we all thought he could have when he first got to college? Oh, definitely. Uh, I, we got a little taste of it last year in that abbreviated season and, and him coming on board and really getting back in love with the game. 
uh, and, and really uh, having the opportunity uh, to be himself. Uh, and, and it was great to see him smile and just enjoy, you know, be in, enjoy the game again. Uh, and to watch him play last year remind me, I, I've known Brew for, oh my gosh, for, forever. He lives, he lives about two miles from my house. So I watched this kid grow up and he's not only a special talent, but he's a special person. Uh, and to be able to watch him play last year was just a taste. I can't tell you how special this kid's going to be. Uh, he, he's a lot like Michael Pittman, to be honest with you. He, he's this offensive player that plays with a defensive mentality. If you remember him at modern day, Michael was the same way at Oaks Christian. They were as good a defensive players as they were an offensive player, and they bring this defensive mentality, this toughness to them, uh, and Brew has that. And, and so, you know, we're really counting on him this year uh, to be a major factor within this offense to to be able to himself Gary Bryant some others that really can be able to draw some attention away from Drake where you just can't say okay let's shut this guy down because you got to go deal with Brew Gary and and a host of others uh, on the other side and so he's got a huge role for us this year and I expect some really big things from him to be honest hey coach if you want to talk uh Coach Orlando into and let him line up at edge. It ain't gonna hurt my feelings none. I'm just I'm just gonna let you know. I, I'm, I'm gonna be here for it. They they recruit him every day. <laughs> they literally recruit him every I day. Hey, I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. But on that defensive side of the ball, you lose Talanoa Hufanga, right? Who mm-hmm. I thought was outstanding mm-hmm. as, as a, a a box safety. Am I? Yeah. Is that, okay. All right. Yeah, we, we label him the boundary safety, uh, the boundary safety. Isaiah Polamalu was the field safety last year. And obviously, you know, one of the exciting things in bringing T.O. in, bringing Coach Orlando in, I just really felt that his system fit our personnel to a T. And I, one of the guys that had just a huge benefit out of it is Talanoa, uh, created an All-American season for the kid and obviously a, a great draft pick for, for San Francisco. Um, you know, but he is one of those kids as well as others. I think of Drake Jackson, how he's flourished within this system. Can I, Moaga, Isaiah Polamau, you know, uh, Nick Figueroa. There's just been so many different guys, Marlon Tui Pelotu last year, that had breakout seasons because of the system and how they fit in it. And so, you know, Talanoa was one of those guys that really, man, got to show every one of his skill sets, his ability to be a box player, to be a post player, to be a flat zone in space player, uh, to, to come off the edge and pressure, to play man coverage. He got to show every one of those skill sets, not only that helped us, but it helped himself personally going to the NFL. Who is your guy on defense that you are looking mm-hmm. to lead it? And I'm going to mm-hmm. throw a name at you. Mm-hmm. Chris Steele looks mm-hmm. like that dude for me, yeah. but you might have somebody else in mind. Yeah. Well, it, there's, there's a couple and Chris is, Chris is one of them. Uh, you know, that we've had some guys here that have played a lot of football. Now Chris Steele comes to mind. He brings this edginess to him, this confidence to him really had a, a very good year last year in, in that abbreviated season. Uh, and has really carried it over to spring. Uh, he, he's, he's got a chip on his shoulder and a sense of urgency to be great. I think of uh, Isaiah, Apolomalo and the steps he took last year, and kind of his off season and how he led uh, led led our defense uh, it, throughout the spring. I think a young player 
uh, and a guy that I think is going to be uh, one of the better stories uh, this year is Tuli Tuli Pelota, who's Marlon's younger brother, who, who really had a great freshman season for us last year, but has really showed a lot of maturity in, in, in this spring. And then obviously every time 99 lines up on the field, I mean, you just hold your breath because he's going to do something great in Drake, in Drake Jackson. I mean, I just absolutely love watching this kid play. Um, but those are the guys that kind of stand out to me uh, right now. You could throw a Raylan Goforth, a Kanai Moaga in there, um, in that group also. But it's really been a, a really, really good spring for our defensive crew. And that's probably one of the things, RJ, we missed last year, if you remember. We didn't get a spring. We, did, we had a very shortened uh, fall training camp. And so what's been really nice about this spring is, you know, Coach Orlando's personality, that edgy toughness, gritty. He's been able to inject that into this defense along with a Vic Soto and a Craig Niver and a Dante Williams. Their personalities have now come on with this defense and, and really – had had really took major steps forward. I, I thought we improved a lot last year uh, with bringing T.O. on board, but now having this offseason, uh, I'm really expecting big things from that group. You mentioned Vic and Dante, and mm -hmm. the high flood of this sport mm -hmm. is recruiting, and I'd yeah. be remiss if I did not mention you remade mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your recruiting department altogether. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know a bunch mm -hmm. of those dudes that you hired on by name, mm -hmm. and I got, I got to ask, like, what was – what was your thought process there and how did you know that it was going to come yeah. off this way? You guys have been outstanding in the pandemic of all things, finishing, I think, number seven with mm -hmm. a recruiting class. Out, and mm -hmm. I, I don't know how much stock you put into mm -hmm. rankings and stars, but mm -hmm. me looking at it, I mm -hmm. see Jackson Dart. Mm -hmm. I see Miller Moss, right? Mm -hmm. I see Corey. I know those mm -hmm. dudes could play. How did you go and identify the guys you needed to help you redo your recruiting department? Yeah, well, one, I got to thank Mike Bone and Brandon Sosta and our athletic department. We had a vision that um, we've gotten to the point that you can't rely on this brand uh, as far as just leaning on it so much. The tradition, respect the tradition of the brand, which is the, to me, the pinnacle of college football. It's a tradition of excellence that's over 125 years. But you got to fight for innovation. And, and, and obviously, you're not only recruiting against the West Coast, you're recruiting against national, the Alabama's, Clemson's, Ohio State's. And, and this is a national brand. And to be able to do that, there's been, you know, other things that are needed, personnel within your recruiting department, uh, video production, graphic design. Things are so visual nowadays for 18-year-olds. for eighteen year olds. It's, And then bringing elite recruiters in like Dante, like Vic like a Craig Niver, you know, a, a Seth Dagey, who's our tight end coach, done a tremendous job, had a huge influence, uh, you know, with, with Jackson, uh, Dart. You know, so it, it is, it's something that you got to have the right people, but you also have to know the technology side. And Mike and Brandon, I thought, did a great job for us because they saw the vision that we wanted, and then they went and invested in it. They went in and got J1S, that uh, a brand marketing merger that we did, and really cre created Book Boulevard Studios, which is helping us as we head towards the name, image, and likeness phase of college football and college athletics to be able to build the brand. We saw that with a Juju Smith-Schuster while he was here, you, you know, to, to be able to while you're in college, while you're in Los Angeles, being able to really grow your brand and your platform while you're here, that will help you not only while you're here, but down the road uh, when, when you're a professional player. So um, it, it was so awesome to be supported 
uh, by Mike and by Brandon to have a vision and them being able to give us the resources to make that vision come to life. Yo, man, I, I'm grateful for you embracing name, image, and likeness and pointing to Juju because I come up on YouTube, right? And mm -hmm. Juju is, he's a, he's a YouTuber, right? <laughs> yeah. But also it makes coaches and fans uneasy in this direction that we are going. As a matter of fact, the state that you're in was the first to adopt name, image, and like legislation that is scheduled to go through 2023. We'll see how that happens. But how have you adapted after, I mean, what, 30 years of being a coach? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, you know, for me, at the end of the day, my responsibility is to make sure that our student athletes are the most valuable asset that they can become when they leave us. And there's a couple ways to get that done. One is education, is making sure that you're coming to one of the top 15 ranked academic institutions there are in the country. Being able to get your degree, put a master's on top of that, build your brand while you're here. You know, to be able to build a platform that can carry you not just for a four year experience, but a 30, 40, 50 year experience, you know. And so to be able to help young men and, and women at, 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 within our athletic department, be able to make themselves the more, most valuable asset they can become, that, that's a pleasure. That's a joy. That should be welcomed, you know, to be able to help student athletes, 18 to 21 year olds. That's the beauty of this thing is putting the final stamp, taking a young man or young woman at 18. And when they leave you at 21, they're ready for the real world. They're ready to go perform in the real world, whether that's on or off the field. And, you know, we just have a, a great luxury here. I think a lot the city of Los Angeles, and it's the name of one word towns, um, one word names. It, it's it's Kobe. It, it's LeBron. It, it's Snoop. It, it's Juju. It, it's adoring, you, you know, and to be able to help young men and women build that image and the platform and the messaging they want to get across is only going to help them in the future. So I welcome it, to be honest with you. I, I, I like, I, I, like I tell, tell our recruits, I want to be 80 and then be 55. And they say, thank you, coach. Thank you for allowing us to come to USC. I'm taking care of my children's children because of what I accomplished there. And so um, that's, that's something that I welcome, to be honest with you, and look forward to even, even more of the future as we head towards this. Right on. I know that that makes me feel better, coach, because mm -hmm. I'm always about the kiddos and I mm -hmm. lean in their direction. They mm -hmm. get five years to play four. I want them to come out mm -hmm. as far ahead as they can because the world mm -hmm. is, is a tough place to exist. Now, I want to talk about the other big issue in college football, mm -hmm. expansion mm -hmm. of the playoff. Are you for? Mm -hmm. are you against? Do you have an argument? <laughs> well, right now we're at four, so we have to live within the four. We, we, we have to find a way to get there. Okay. Um, I right. do think at some point in time that it is going to increase. I, I really do. Uh, I, I think that you're, you're going to see somewhere between maybe eight to 16 teams that, that are, are going to be included. I, I think it's good mm -hmm. for college football. Uh, I think it, it's going to create even more excitement, more competitiveness, um, it, it'll give the availability of not only power five conferences, but mid majors to be able to be involved. And I think it's going to create a lot of excitement. I think we're headed that way. I really do. And I look forward to it. 
I, I would I would encourage it. Right now, we got to know the reality. Uh, there, there's dreaming, and then there's reality. And the reality is, is right now we're at four. Mm-hmm. So we've got to do our best job of one producing a great resume, uh, which we got a great opportunity this year. Nine conference games, and then you throw a San Jose State, a BYU, and a Notre Dame in there, all top twenty-five teams last year. You know, be able to build that resume, go be a conference champion, and get to that playoff. You know, so we got to live in the reality, but I look forward to the future because I do feel like we will expand at some point in time. Yeah, y'all got a sneaky tough schedule. Like San Jose State's undefeated going into their bowl game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know what BYU was. We mm-hmm. know Notre Dame made the playoff. And I, I've looked at the schedule. I'm going, okay, all right, let, let's see what you got here. Let's see what you got, 21. But to your point about the mid-majors, right, mm-hmm. you spent – a significant amount of time mm-hmm. at Memphis. And I, yeah. I, I'm a graduate of the University of Tulsa. So I, I know mm-hmm. something about playing yeah. against Memphis. Yeah. And the first thing I thought was, man, it'd be great to get one of those teams in. The second thing mm-hmm. I thought was, yo, did, did you recruit D'Angelo Williams? <laughs> <laughs> I was there with D'Angelo, who was a joy, an absolute joy to recruit and coach. Um, and, and so I, I've been with those programs and played against some really good teams. I look in the recent future, you think of central Florida, you think of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anybody in the country wants to play the, the, those teams. I mean, they, they're, they're really good football teams, Thank extremely you. well, co- extremely well coached. Uh, and, and there's more out there too, that you can name, you know, so I, I think it makes it better for college football. Uh, when we do expand, I really do. I think it's going to create more excitement. Uh, I look forward to getting what, whether it's 8, 12, 16, whatever it is. Uh, and I think it's going to provide uh, a high level of competition. Uh, I think it's going to help all conferences. Uh, I really do. And uh, we'll live in reality and we'll fight our butt off for those four spots uh, right now and do our job. But, but also I, I look forward to the future and I look forward to seeing it grow uh, at some point in time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, is this thing, is this thing on the, the head coach of one of the blue blood programs of uh, college football said, it's, it's okay. We're going to be okay. If we expand the playoff, it's going to be fine. No, I, I appreciate that. I really do because mm-hmm. I want to see the, the sport grow. I want to see more people mm-hmm. have more opportunities. And my thing has always been try telling the 5,500 kids that play outside of the autonomous five that they're not good enough mm-hmm. to play for a national championship. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't, right? Nobody can get that out of their heart to say. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that, coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get back to recruiting for just a second here. And if you would, Take us mm-hmm. inside your process of how you decide what areas you're going to focus on, whether it's position mm-hmm. or whether it's just the local area. For instance, Los Angeles ain't, ain't exactly, you know, uh, bad at football, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it ain't, it ain't yeah. like the state of California ain't putting yeah. out prospects. So yeah. do you prioritize in that way? Yeah. Do you prioritize in need? What do you look for? Yeah, definitely. There, there's a couple avenues here, uh, RJ, uh, to discuss. One, we're very fortunate uh, because of our geographic location. Uh, you, you think about the West Coast, especially uh, states like uh, California, Southern California. You think about the growth that uh, an Arizona has, a uh, Utah has had, a Nevada has had. You've seen Oregon, Washington, Hawaii, the products that are coming out of there. You have those seven states there on that West Coast that are very strong. Uh, and, and, and if we're signing 25, you'll probably see 18 to 20 come out of, come out of this West Coast uh, footprint. Um, but we are a national brand. And, and we, I, I remember having the opportunity to recruit a Nelson Aguilar and a Leonard Williams. And when you step outside, you go, okay, uh, it, it's, we really feel this gentleman is a first round draft pick. He fits 
our culture. He fits Los Angeles. Uh, he fits what we're trying to do. And he's looking, you know, big picture aspirations. He wants an elite private school education. He wants to, he, he's comfortable in maybe coming across the country for three to four years to invest in himself. It's got to be the right fit. It's got to be the right fit. So you look up and anywhere from five to seven will we'll acquire uh, nationally. I think of Ronald Jones uh, and coming out of McKinney, Texas, and having the chance to recruit him and what he was looking for. It was it, we were his perfect fit, you know, for for that kid. So it's got to be the right fit. Uh, and it's obviously if we can acquire the same level of talent at that position on the West Coast, we're probably going to take it because we don't want to compete. We don't want to compete. I don't want him to go to Washington or Oregon or, or UCLA or, or another school. Um, but there's also this new dynamic uh, with the transfer port. Uh, I'll be honest with you that um, especially with schools like ourselves that are going to have, we had seven uh, young men leave early for the, for the NFL draft. And so you're going to have some NFL draft attrition. You may have some guys that graduate. Uh, that have their degree from USC that are in their last year of eligibility that maybe want a grander role and, and you have that type of uh, that type of attrition. So you got you have to also I think what schools will do uh, will use that transfer portal kind of like I, I remember Les Snead did an amazing job with the Rams a couple of years ago. They thought about with them being a, a playoff team and they wanted to go to the Super Bowl. Who did they bring in? Adamic and Sue. They brought in Marcus Peters. They brought in Tlaib. And, and just those acquisitions took them from a playoff team to a Super Bowl team. I think that's what you're, you're going to have to do as we move forward in this transfer portal world. There'll be, you know, anywhere from three to five men that you may bring on at specific positions that they want an opportunity and we want the opportunity to coach them and they can help us. Uh, right now, uh, I think of a Keontae Ingram, uh, you, you know, that just came on board with us that that has the opportunity to a 2000 yard rusher at Texas come coming here to help us this season. Uh, I think of a KD Nixon, 103 reception guy in Colorado that that comes on to be able to bolster our, our wideout. You know, so I think there's some pieces that that each school will pick to bring in and, and kind of we've turned into an NFL free agent market to be honest with you. And if we have the availability to get to 85, 85 total men on scholarship, you'll pick those certain men to be able to come in and help your program. I'm with you, coach. Like I, I, they call it roster management now. And I say, mm -hmm. it, it just means that you're still recruiting. That's all. Yeah. No once they get there, you're, you're just recruiting. It, it, it never ends. It's 365 days every day. <laughs> every day well, every and, I say this often, but it's, it feels like a young man's sport, right? You, mm -hmm. uh, the older you get, like I marvel at Mac Brown, for instance, who's going to turn mm -hmm. 70 in August. Oh, my gosh. Right? And he's still out here <laughs> wanting to do this because you yeah. have to want to do it. What drives you to want to do it, Coach? Yeah. Well, for me, I, you know, I'm, I'm a coach's son. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I grew up, I watched my dad. He was a 48-year NFL and college coach. Um, and I saw – the influence he had in young men's lives at both levels. Uh, and for me, my, my niche was always college. Uh, I love the educational piece. I love the 18 to 21 year old window. Uh, I, like I said, I love taking that young man and, and helping him grow into a true professional. He leaves at 21. That's my niche. That's what gets me up and makes me smile. But I'm also at USC. I'm at the Walt Disney world of college football coach and I get to wake up and coach Drake London and Keaton Slovis, Drake Jackson and Corey Foreman. I get not only are they great athletes, they're great people, they're great students. And when you get to be able to wake up and be a part of that each and every day, you're talking about giving you energy and juice. I mean, it's just like 
every day you're surrounded by greatness and, and you want to live up to that greatness for them, that standard of excellence for them and help them get to where they want to go. And, and so this has always been my niche. It always will be, uh, I, you know, I, I love the college game. Uh, and, uh, I, I don't know if I could be the force of nature that Mac Brown is still, still to 17 because that's a, that's a special dude. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I tell you what, it, this game keeps you young. This game keeps you energized and it gives you purpose each and every day that you're helping a young man go do something special with his life. I sometimes end these conversations by asking you to give me your pitch for why I should come to your school. But I think I just, I, I think I heard it. Coach. Like I, I think you got it. No, um, I've enjoyed this greatly. I appreciate you taking time to talk with us and I wish you so much success in 2021. USC Trojan head coach, Clay Helton. Thank you so much, sir. RJ, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, buddy. All right, coach. My thanks to USC head coach, Clay Helton, who had a lot of interesting things to say about roster management, about his team, but also about the college football playoff. And I respect saying, hey, look, we got to win. We got to get in as it is right now. We got to get in the 14 playoff, but also acknowledging what I think many college football fans and college football insiders know. Expansion is coming. It's just a matter of when. But seeing as we get so much pushback here on the show about college football playoff expansion, I wanted to ask you, do you think it should expand? And if not, I want you to tell me why not. And we put this out on the socials at number one show on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you get your social media and ask you, hey, give me your best argument because this is not your daddy's Facebook page. I'm not just looking for your opinion. Give me the whys. Give me the hows. And making her debut on a number one ranked show, Producer Cat, here to read your responses. What's up, Producer Cat? Hi, RJ. <laughs> that was a great intro. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, I've got three for you. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with this one from at, let's see. At Steve Bullard. I hate more fun college football games. Give me more bad bowls. What do I win? Shout out to my buddy, Steve, who also helped me uh, get into this space. But he's being sarcastic, and you have to see a tweet to see that. But I think there's a point to be made here that the bowl games and the bowl system does not need to go away, right? You can incorporate the bowl system into a larger playoff, which is why I'm a proponent of 24 teams in the playoff, but I'll stop at 16 because I think that that's a nice big number. And that puts us basically on par with the NFL and how it does things. We're also going to watch football, right? Like the idea that we're not going to watch these games is preposterous. Now, whether or not we'll go to these games, that is a very good question because we know that the numbers of people attending games is going down but the number of people watching games is going up, which means that you like doing what you're doing right now. We're just sitting wherever you're sitting, watching it on your smart device or on your television in your skivvies, right? Like you're not alone there. I mean, I was late to my own podcast recording because I was looking for pants. That's a big deal. You got to wear pants to go to the games. Now, are you going to watch the game anyway? Yeah, you may or may not do that with pants. That's your own personal business over there. And I think that's one of the reasons why you're staying at home. But again, to the sarcastic comment, there really isn't a great one here because if you have more inventory, you have more games to watch, more games that are meaningful, you're going to have more fun, period. All right, Producer Cat, what we got? All right, here's the second one. This is from 
at Titan 802. The only reason not to is because there's never really been a year where you felt the eighth ranked team or 10th ranked team could actually win it all. You could argue it's a complete waste of time. Did it? What? How are you a complete waste of time? All right, let, let's just do a let's do a quick Google search on who the number 10 team was in the college football playoff. Right. Because I think that's going to help us understand just who and what we're talking about here. So number eight is Cincinnati. Okay. Nine and oh at the time, but you know, we'll stop there. And number 10, it's Iowa state. All right. So you have Cincinnati playing the people and damn near beat Georgia in it. Right. With a dude that y'all all keep telling me is great and Desmond Ritter at quarterback. I don't buy it, but that's not the point you do. And then you talk about Iowa state who got its first major bowl victory ever against Oregon. In the Fiesta Bowl, with a unanimous All-American tailback at Brees Hall, they play outstanding defense. They have one of the best linebacking courts in all of football. To say nothing to Mike Rose, they get Greg Eisworth back, and they got a dominant edge rusher in Will McDonough out there. That dude had double-digit sacks. He was the only guy in the Power Five returning who did that. So, A, you're wrong. And, B, who wouldn't want to see these matchups and have them mean something? Right? Like, that's the other part. You have a realistic opportunity to catch Alabama on a down day. You have a real opportunity to catch Oklahoma without a defense, to catch Notre Dame without a real offense outside of Kyron Williams, to really go after a Texas A&M team that got, you know, dumped on its head by Alabama, but also showed up and beat down a Florida team that everybody thought was going to be really good. Okay? With a Heisman Trophy candidate. This is the kind of thinking that really sets us back because you're empowering the best teams in college football and you are weakening everybody else. It means that you're not going to see any movement at the top. It's one of the reasons why like we're going to get into rankings here a little bit and post spring and whatnot, but it's difficult to have a real conversation about coastal Carolina because you don't think they're that good. Even though they went into their bowl game undefeated, they stopped the mud hole in BYU and walked it dry, okay? And yet, here we are, talking about how they're not good enough to play for championships. And I would leave you with this thought. There are over 11,000 FBS players. Half of them, more than half of them, 55% of them play in group of five teams and conferences. You're trying to tell me that you want to tell over 5,500 kids they're not good enough to play for national championships. Why? Just because you believe it. Not because somebody beat them. Not because they caught an L. Not because, but what? They don't play at Ohio State? They don't play at Alabama? They don't play at Florida, Clemson? They don't play in a Power Five conference. You're going to sit here and try to tell me that Kansas has more claim to playing for a national championship than Liberty did last year? Okay. You can be out there with that bad opinion but you're not coming up with a good argument for why the playoffs should not expand, especially following a pandemic where, Hey, everybody needs a little bit more money. And best way to create money in college football is create more inventory. Or am I the person that went to econ class that day? Let me know at RJ underscore young. Uh, all right. Producer cat. What we got? All right. The last one is from at Shillsbury. Should not expand until the players get a share of the profit. 
No sense in putting more risk on their body until that happens. The NFL already knows who they want in their ranks and expanded playoff wouldn't help that. It may help a few players stock, but not the many. I think you need to adjust the focus of your lens on this one. While I think your heart's in the right place, right? Of wanting to see the players get paid for their labor. I think you're missing the point of expanding the playoff because in expanding the playoff, you also are creating more opportunities for these kids to make money. But also like the idea that college football should exist for the NFL to cherry pick the top 2% is wrong, right? It is a big part of the game. It is a thing that we're all striving to see the kids get to, but the reality is 98% of them have five years to play for. And I want them to have every opportunity to go play for that national championship in those five years, or at least something like it, right? The other part about this that I find to be wild interesting is that you think somehow the kids are going to get into a collective bargaining agreement with the NCAA. Now, as much as I would love that to happen and for them to have a Marvin Miller type figure to run their players association, we're years away from that. What we can control right now is telling the television networks and these big teams, hey, look, everybody makes more money if we expand the inventory. Well, you're going to water down the regular season. Okay, because Alabama versus New Mexico State really matters. Alabama versus West Carolina really matters. Alabama versus Citadel really matters. I just rattled off three real games to you. Who do they matter to? Those teams that get the payout? Sure, absolutely. But they don't matter. That's not going to make or break how you feel about Alabama. And that's the thing about the playoff, man. I want the rankings to have less impact on who's playing for championships. I like rankings. I love talking about rankings. I like to look at the teams and think who's better than the others. But I also like the opportunity to have 10 automatic qualifiers and six at-large bids, right? And you can do those at-large bids in the committee if you want to. But if you win your championship in your league, you don't have to deal with anybody voting you up or down. They'll still do it because they'll have to do seating. But I don't want you to have anything to do with that at all. I want the scoreboard to be the college football playoff selector because that's what the game is supposed to be about who won and who lost not who looked good doing it not even who looked bad doing it did you do it and the other thing about the regular season and these kids talking about making money is don't you think those are good opportunities for the kids to show themselves with more inventory and more games nfl's adding the 17th game you're going to sit here and try to tell me that Denver versus Kansas City is going to impact whether or not you're going to watch Denver or Kansas City. No, you're going to watch it because the NFL is the most popular sport in this country, period. And I dare you to be the person on the internet saying you hate the NFL because we're all going to look at you and be like, why are you lying to us? 78 to 80 of the top 100 shows every year are NFL regular season games. The worst watched NFL regular season game is one of the most watched television shows of the year, every year. What if that was college football? What if college football expanded to where you play 16-game seasons with the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th game being your national championship game? How much more money is there for the players to make? How much more money is there for the schools to make? How much more money is there for the broadcasters to make? Hey, this feels like a win, and I feel like I'm being gaslit by some of these answers. <laughs> Because I'm seeing it. See it with me. Get on board with this. 
You want to see the regional sport that college football is become the national sport that it needs to be. And then we can talk about taking on the NFL. But we're years away from that. One way to get closer is college football playoff expansion. My thanks to Producer Cat for helping me with the questions. Uh, I enjoy responding to your questions. Please, anything you want us to discuss, get at number one show, and we'll see if it fits into what we're talking about, right? Also, stay after this top 25 that I'm going to talk through post-spring top 25 because I have an announcement for you that you're going to want to hear. But I want to do the post-spring top 25 because I haven't done a uh, top 25 since my way too early top 25, like the day after the national championship game. And we've had a lot that has gone on since then, right? We've had kids go into the portal. We've had kids come out of the portal. We've seen coordinators get head coaching jobs. We've seen coordinators get fired. We've seen head coaches get fired. We've seen recruiting classes signed. We've seen kids go through spring ball. We've seen injuries happen to those teams. And I think all those things matter in the evaluation, right? So I'm going to reference the January way too early top 25 and tell you about the post-spring top 25. And we're going to start with number one. Number one in January is Alabama. Number one right now is Oklahoma. Oklahoma got really, really good during this spring, adding three volunteer transfers. You see what I did there? Never mind. Um, Key Lawrence, Wanye Morris, and Eric Gray all decided that they want to be Sooners after having volunteered for Tennessee, okay, I'm going to stop, I promise. But it's so much fun because Tennessee fans and Oklahoma fans, you know what it is. Anyway, Oklahoma's at one. They got better. They get Kennedy Brooks back. They get Jalen Redmond back. Both of those guys had opted out of 2020, which means that you can go Kennedy Brooks, Eric Gray, or Mark's major, right, at tailback. You've got Theo Weiss alongside Marvin Mims and Jaden Hazelwood. Drake Stoops is on scholarship. The defense feels like it's going to be good, especially that defensive line. With Isaiah Thomas coming back alongside with Jalen Redmond, means you can go four deep at defensive tackle if you want to with Perrion Winfrey and Josh Ellison. The reason I put Alabama out of the one spot, we'll talk about them in a minute, has to do with what they lost and what they gained. Okay, number two, I got Georgia. Number three, I got Clemson. Georgia is just a hair ahead of Clemson for me because of what they have at wide receiver. And Clemson, just a hair behind because I'm not sure what Justin Ross is going to be. Number four, Alabama. All right. So they were four. Clemson was four. But I got Alabama at four. reason I got Alabama at four is because Steve Sarkeesian is no longer their offensive coordinator, and they brought in Bill O'Brien. I don't think that's trading up. We'll see. The book on Bill O'Brien is great offensive mind, terrible GM. All right, cool. You don't need to be a GM at Alabama. That's Nick Saban's job. And Nick Saban has a tremendous track record in rehabilitating coordinators, particularly offensive coordinators, whether it's Sarkeesian or Lane Kiffin or Brian Dable, who just came through one national championship, bounced to Buffalo. It ought to be okay, but he's also breaking in a brand new starter in Bryce Young, who is preternaturally talented. But again, new system, new quarterback, not sure what we're going to get out of there. And We'll see what other things are going on in the portal there. Yes, they had they add Henry to O2O, but there's some rumblings, right? Some dudes might still want to get out of there. Ben Davis ends up transferring to Texas, for example. So we'll see how it goes. And a four spot is not a bad place to be for the defending national champs. All right, number five, we got Ohio State, who is a quarterback away. Oregon is going to be defensively led by Kayvon Thibodeau. We'll see if Anthony Brown has the goods there. And then at number seven, I got LSU. As down as I was, 
on the LSU Tigers in 2020, I'm up on them now, right? Because all those dudes that were inexperienced last year are experienced this year. And no matter if it's Max Johnson or Miles Brennan, you're going to have a returning starting quarterback at quarterback. Now, Durante Jones, is defensive coordinator, Jake Peets at offensive coordinator. We'll see how that goes, right? Specifically think, thinking of Durante Jones because they went through two or three guys that they wanted to hire before they settled on him. Peets gets the Joe Brady seal of approval, but we'll still see how that goes, right? You got Kayshawn Butte coming back. Eric Gilbert is a monster out there. I think that Eli Ricks is one of the best defensive backs in all of football. I expect him to contend, but what we're really talking about is how the SEC West is going to end up, and I think it's going to have Alabama on top of LSU. Then at eight, we got Indiana. Nine, we got Iowa State. Ten, we got Coastal Carolina. So Coastal Carolina is interesting to me, mostly because a lot of people are not paying attention to what Coastal Carolina has brought back from a team that was an overtime away from finishing the season undefeated in an outstanding game against Liberty and who is everybody's new favorite darling to be a first round NFL draft pick and Malik Willis. We'll talk about him in another section, but they went 11 and one last year. They go eight and zero in the Sunbelt, their Sunbelt co-champs because their game against Louisiana, which I thought was going to be great. Got caught off due to COVID, right? Louisiana played them really close and they're a good football team. We'll talk about them a little bit later. They lose CJ Maribel at running back, but that's about it. Really? They returned a ton, including Grayson McCall and Javon, uh, Javon Lee, right? So, like, they got their pass catcher. They got their quarterback back. They play outstanding defense. I expect them to contend for the Sunbelt Championship once again, and I would love to see an undefeated Coastal Carolina, the shots coming through, making a push for the college football playoff once again. We'll see if anybody lets them in. Now, 11, I got Wisconsin. 12, I got Miami. 13, I got Notre Dame. 14, I got North Carolina. 15, I got Arizona State. 16, I got Penn State. 17, I got Ampersand U, a.k.a. Texas A&M. All right. The reason I got Texas A&M at 17 is because I see LSU as a loss. Arkansas could be a loss. Alabama is a loss. And then we'll see, right? And we'll see because they're breaking in a new quarterback for the first time in a very long time, whether or not it's going to be Haynes King or Eli Stowers. There's another quarterback that you got to keep your eye on in there, but I don't know, man. Like you're asking Isaiah Spiller and Anaya Smith to do a lot of work here, and I don't know that those are the dudes to do it for you. And then you lose Buddy Johnson, who is an absolute dude for them on defense. Now they got DeMarvin Leal coming back on the defensive line. We'll see how that goes. I just don't see Texas A&M having the run that they did last year, though they believe this is the year for them to beat Alabama. And if they beat Alabama, they're going to finish about where they finished last year, which is pushing for a college football playoff spot. Number 18, I got Florida. Number 19, I got Florida State. Number 20, I got Texas. 21, I got Arizona State. And 22, I got Texas Christian, who I did not rank the first time around. But think about this. Texas Christian added Chandler Morris, who scored a touchdown in the Big 12 championship game against Iowa State and is probably their heir apparent to Max Duggan, who is back once again. Zach Evans is a five-star tailback that I expect to carry the mail for them in 2021. And they just got Shadrach Banks from Texas A&M out of the portal. This is a dude that could play wide receiver, but is probably going to end up playing linebacker. Now, the only dude that I've ever seen be able to talk an offensive player into playing defense is Gary Patterson. 
The last time he did this was with Captain America, a.k.a. Ty Summers, who was playing quarterback and was committed to play quarterback Rice. And he said, why don't you come play linebacker for me? Play linebacker in, made it to the NFL as a Green Bay Packer in his first year. I look at his defense and I'm always looking at dudes, all right? I'm always looking at guys that are playing at the next level. I'm always looking at sneaky dudes that get drafted in the first round, right? Jason Barrett is still in the NFL and still a 49er. Like, that's a big deal for that program. And if you get a guy who was as highly touted as Shadrach Banks to play defense and you probably get to start him, you're going to play some good football, right? And in that 4-2-5 where those linebackers get to do everything, they put on a lot of pro concepts, I'm excited about what Texas Christian can be in 2021. Remember, Texas hadn't beaten Texas Christian since 2018, dog. TCU was 2-0 the last two times they met. That could be 3-0 by the end of this year. 23, I got Cincinnati. 24, I got SC, USC. That'd be uh, the Trojans, not not the other one. And then number 25, I got Louisiana. So Cincinnati dropped for me precipitously from number 7 to number 23. That is how good I think Marcus Freeman is at his job. Marcus Freeman had that defense playing lights out football. Now, some of y'all are looking at me going, RJ, they still got Desmond Ritter at quarterback. Yeah, a dude that has over 900 pass attempts and just 57 touchdowns, 20 uh, interceptions. Those aren't outstanding numbers. Like, look at Trey Lance with a smaller sample size, and he's able to do more, okay? That's not a good look for your mans. And you got evaluations that are all over the map for him. But first, can you win the, the American again? Because I think that, Central Florida's going to make a run at you. Houston's going to make a run at you. Tulane's going to make a run at you. Emile Matatosa might be able to take some shots here and there because they felt like they were a quarterback away. All right? So that is my post-spring top 25. Again, get at me about what you like and what you don't like on the Twitters, on the IGs. You know where I am. You know where we be. But now that we are here, I get to tell you, next Monday, next Monday, and – uh. This is not a secret. Be loud about this. We got Jim Ross coming on the show. By God, as God is my witness, he is coming on the podcast. Like, I'm so excited. This is my childhood. Like, this, this is my childhood. Is that man in that black hat calling the matches that matter most to me. And he's a tremendous Oklahoma fan. And y'all, y'all, y'all know what it is over here. Y'all know how we do over here. So I'm excited about that. Probably going to spend the entire show talking ball, but I'll be doggone if I don't get him to tell a couple of stories about his heyday with the WWE. All right. If you like the show, please follow it on Fox Sports app where you can listen to every one of these or wherever it is you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star review if you are on the Apple's because it's helping. We're at 69, which I got to say is a nice number for us. But I would love to get it to 70, okay? We'd love to give it to 70. I like 70. It's a nice round number. And then, you know, maybe we'll go for that Barry Bonds number 71. I don't know. Or is it 73? 73. It's 73. I should know that because I remember all the smoke that Barry got for that. And now I'm doing a baseball podcast, which means that I'm probably done. All right. Shout out to the staff, dude. Producer Cat, Javion Duncan, Chris, USC Chris on a directing. I have so much fun doing these and... I got to say, I could not do this without them. And we will see y'all next week. Stay for me. Deuces.